0: This episode was awesome. Tim has some great stories. He's climbed in the jungles. He's climbed in giant redwoods. He's climbed all around the world. We'll talk to him again and get some more of them because this is one of my favorites. Like always, if you could take a minute to like, subscribe, share, all that stuff. I know one of my favorite ways of finding out about a new podcast is when my friends text it to me or share it on the social media uh, and I always appreciate it. It's always kind of cool to uh, to find a new podcast. And if you're into this podcast, you probably know a handful of people that are that are too. And it's a great way to support us that costs nothing. So just click on that share button and send it out. It's been a while since we got any five star reviews. So if you want to send us a five star review and get it read on the show, we'd be happy to do that. And a huge thanks to everybody that's been listening. We've been getting more and more people listening to it, and uh, apparently you're enjoying it because you're coming back for some more. We really enjoy making it, so I'm glad that you guys are enjoying listening to it. And with that, we're going to take care of some business, and then we're going to get right to it.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, a substitute for professional arboriculture advice and should never be relied upon to perform or direct arboricultural work. The Tree Thinking podcast makes no representations as to the accuracy, completeness, or suitability of any information on this podcast will not be liable for any damages arising from the use of any information in the practice of arboriculture or tree work. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and their appearance on the podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The podcast and its hosts are not to be held responsible for misuse, cited, and or unsighted copies of the content within this podcast by others the tree thinking podcast may not be reproduced or distributed without the express written consent of the tree thinking podcast yep
2: ready ready tim
0: has forged out a unique path through the tree climbing world he teaches and facilitates rec climbing as a pioneer in adventure rec climbing he has traveled and climbed around the world for years He's taught the art of technical tree climbing in Atlanta, Georgia, then Grants Pass, Oregon. In 2010, he started Tree Climbing Planet in Oregon City and has been teaching in Oregon for the past 15 years. He has guided tree climbing expeditions in remote locations in the Amazon, Central America, and old-growth redwood trees, and is planning future expeditions into New Zealand, Tasmania, Australia, Malaysia and madagascar on this episode of the tree thinking podcast we talk to someone who has inspired thousands of people from around the planet to climb trees he's an adventurer an explorer an all-around trailblazer it is our pleasure to talk to tim tengu kovar All right, we're back with another episode, and uh, this one will be fun. We've been kind of going back and forth for a while, and so I'm really stoked we finally put it together, and uh, we're going to have some good stories tonight. That being said, before we get started, I'm Andrew.
3: Hey, I'm Rob. I'm Dakota. Jamie.
4: And Corey.
0: And I'm Tim Kovar. Right on. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to share some stories and catch up with you guys. Yeah, yeah, no. We've been we've been like I said, we've been talking about doing this for a little while and you know, everybody's real busy and uh so I know personally there's been a couple times I've been getting ready for it and then it just didn't happen, you know, for whatever reason and so now it's happening. I'm all fired up, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah,
5: exactly. Same same here too. So uh for the patience on that, um, yeah, it's been a crazy. Well, I don't know, 2021 now, or still 2020, but it's been a crazy time
0: past uh, past 18 months or so. So, but uh, yeah, stoked to be with you all right now. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, after listening to the intro and kind of writing it out, my first thought was, all right, when's when are some of those trips coming up? You're going to need to keep me keep in touch <laughs> with me because I want to go to uh, New Zealand or Tasmania or. Madagascar. <laughs> how, oh,
5: man, me too. <laughs> yeah,
0: man. It, after 2020, I think we're all fired up. How, how do you decide these places on where you where you go to climb?
5: So a lot of the international trips, it's from uh, students that have came out here to uh, Oregon City and taken classes, and then they end up going back to their country um, and start, you know, some recreational, I like to refer to it as inspirational tree climbing um and then after they've kind of you know got some roots planted out there in that world uh they invite me out there i come out there i usually do a scouting trip first um just check out the trees and some of the logistics as well and then um they're my you know in-house um uh, facilitators there and so we end up working with them and then they find some of the locations and then i just bring clients with me to these remote areas Wow. As far as when it's all going to happen, well, that just kind of depends on when the uh, borders are going to open back up. But uh, the one I'm really excited about is Tasmania uh, getting over there with uh, Steve and Jen with the uh, tree projects. Um, they were back here in Oregon, gosh, I think it was 2019 or 2018 or maybe it was seventeen. Uh But yeah, they were here. They stayed here on the farm for, gosh, a month and a half or so. If you guys haven't checked out the tree projects, definitely give them a look um, out there on the internet because they're doing some pretty amazing things uh, photographing some pretty
0: impressive trees. Cool. Wow. What, what kind of trees you, are you going to be climbing in Tasmania, do you know?
5: I, I do not. I'm going to leave that up to uh, Steve and Jen. I'm sure there'll be some giant eucalyptus trees out there. Uh, I believe a few of them are still standing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think they, the largest one, the tallest flowering, uh, you know, tree, well, before they found the one in Borneo, um, was there in Tasmania. Mm. So I think they have access to that. So right now we're still uh-huh. working out some of the logistics to get permits, uh, to be able to do like, you know, facilitate or a guy, guy that climbs there and take an expedition down there as well. So that's, uh, down on Stephen Jen's part right now to, uh, kind of grease those wheels.
6: So- so these climbs, are they, um, are they trainings or you're just uh, guiding uh, inspirational climbs as you put it?
5: You know, it's, it's uh, mainly just kind of guiding. Yeah. Um, okay. but, you know, we do a lot in the Amazon. I've been going down to the Amazon for about, oh gosh, 16, 17 years now. And uh, I've been running expeditions down there usually about once a year. Of course, the past couple of years we haven't with the pandemic, um, but uh, we are I do guided, guided climbs down there, tree climbing expeditions, where we end up renting a houseboat. It's pretty much all-inclusive. You know, Once you get to the airport, and that's the way I like to keep Is once people get to the airport, we have someone there to pick you up at the airport, shuttle you out to wherever the hotel may be or the guest house where we're staying at. Um, and in the Amazon, for example, uh, we usually have a pretty nice hotel the first night there, then the next day we're on a beautiful old houseboat going up the Negro River, um, going pretty far back into the jungle, and then climbing uh, trees throughout the day, or just even doing just guided hikes. We always hire all the local folks, some of the uh, community members. Um, <clears throat> so we got these expert guides with us. And then while the clients are out with the guides, uh, usually myself and then one other of the, uh, my Amazonian friend, who's a tree climbing facilitator, uh, we're out there scouting out trees, trying to get the lines up so that when they're done on their guided hikes with the locals, we have a few lines already preset um, because climbing down the tropics is uh, a little different than climbing the oak trees in the backyard.
7: Sure. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean,
0: one of my thoughts when you're going deep into a jungle, you know, we've, we've done a lot of rec climbs around here. But I've never, I've always kind of been on the top of the food chain of what's in the trees. I mean, down there, there's big cats that hang out up in the canopy, right? Like, that's got to be a trip. Yeah, the worst thing we have here is
4: like a raccoon. Yeah. There's some, I mean, there's right. some vicious squirrels, but uh... that,
6: that's, a, that's yeah. a good question. Like, what kind of wildlife have you run into? Like, you, like right. what's, a, what's a story that comes to your mind?
5: Oh, my gosh. I have a lot of them there. But you're absolutely right. You know, up here in the, in the uh, temperate forest, it's pretty benign. You know, I mean, the biggest fears that I have up here are, you know, the, the, the wasp, you know, or the bees. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
7: Um,
5: and that's actually one of the biggest fears down the south, too. You know, down in the tropics, it's mainly the bees and the ants, too. Oh, my gosh, the ants. Once they start coming down your rope, I mean, I've literally got my line set. In fact, now, from doing it for so many years. I've learned that once I get my line set in the tree, um, we'll, you know, do a little bit of bounce test on the rope. And we'll literally just wait five to 10 minutes before we start climbing. Um, because there could be an ant's nest way on the other side of the crown. And some of these crown spreads of these giant Sabah or Kapok trees,
1: you know, they're
5: 150 foot wide spread on the one crown. And so when you're bouncing on the rope, it's in the vibration through the tree. Um, all the ants from a different side of the tree could be coming over to check out what's going on. And um, I've, been climbing up, jugging up 50 feet or so, look up, and all of a sudden my rope, it looks like it's breathing. It's just undulating. Oh, oh. Like, what the heck? And there's just thousands of ants coming down the rope. And yeah.
0: once those ants start coming after you, man, there's nothing to do but just get out. Well And <laughs> you know? those might not be like around here. We have like the little red ants.
3: Or the but, little
0: stinky ones. Yeah, the little yeah, stinky yeah. ones. But yeah. I remember being in Costa Rica doing a zipline tour and all of a sudden, there's tons of those big tiger ants that they have in Central America, oh, yeah. and you get hit by one of those. That'll wake you up.
7: Yeah, you know that's a that's no. a whole
0: different story.
3: Do those ones sting or just bite?
0: Uh, so, yeah, I don't know about the tiger one. Which one is that? Are they biting? Uh, yeah, they would bite you, but I, you know, to be. I didn't get hit too many times. I got hit once on the zip line, and then I got hit once when I was sleeping, and it, it like, woke me up out of a dead sleep just in this little hostel that I was staying at. I mean, and I I don't remember seeing if it stung me or bit me. I always just assumed it bit me, but, I mean, hell, who knows?
5: Yeah. Right. It only takes one bite, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Down there in the Amazon, I don't know what kind of ants they are. There's so many different types of ants, they all, they, they just all hurt, you know, yeah, 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 um, it's <laughs> it not fun to do it, so. but there are the tucanero, the tucanero ants, which are the bullet ants,
7: oh, and, yeah. oh, uh, I'm we, familiar. we came across Ooh. those,
5: man, and, oh, those, those will, those will definitely wake you up, um, <laughs> they're, uh, called the 24-hour sting or 24-hour bite or something like that, uh, I've been bit once, um, on the foot, and, you know, it was not a girdle, you know, cool, exotic story, nothing like that. There, I was actually just standing in the lodge, looking out the window, and something bit me on the foot. And man, I screamed. I looked down, and there's just this—you know—about a one-inch-long uh, ant that bit me and stung me. It got me on both ends, oh, and my, um, my my foot just swelled up like a balloon. Thank God we had the next day off, you know. Um, but it was literally 24 hours and my foot was swollen up, and then pretty much on the minute. The next day, boom! All swelling gone, and I was I was back to normal. But wow. walking out with the indigenous people and the locals, um, you know, if we come across one of these uh, Tucumero nest, a lot of well, pretty much all of them uh, will like, sacrifice a bite. They'll they'll put their arm down there. They'll get bit and stung by it uh, intentionally. Uh, and they believe it's good medicine. It's also like, Hey, you know, if we disturb you. We're sorry. We apologize for, you know, walking across your trail. Um, and so we're kind of taking one for the team. And then every time I've been in the trees, especially with these guys, we've never had any incidences, um, with the clients down there, either being stung by them oh, nice. um, or bit by them. Yeah. So there's this, there's this, uh, you know, kind of, I don't know, primitive philosophy happening down there, I like it. um, which, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to our Western way of thinking Uh, but if A plus B equals C I don't really care how it gets there it seems to be working. Uh, One story that really popped in mind was down in the Amazon and about oh gosh I don't know six months prior to this trip a friend of mine got uh, lit up by a bunch of bees in Panama. Um, he got stung—I don't know, 400 times
7: mm-hmm.
5: by some Africanized killer bees that were mating with the local honeybees like fifth generation or so. He's lucky Whoa. to have lived through it.
0: Yeah, that's true. But he, he
5: did—he did live through it. You know, he got—he was able to get himself down, and they got him to the hospital and all that. There, it's a whole different story there. But um, when he came back and told us the story, you know, and I was getting ready to head down to the Amazon, so I'm like, you know. Kind of freaking out on this here because there's a good friend that almost lost his life uh, due to the bees. And so um, I'm down there and I'm teaching now. And I'm, I was down in Brazil and we were actually teaching some, I was teaching some classes for this eco village that wanted to bring uh, inspirational tree climbing. Or, Their uh, philosophy is slow travel. You know, they want people to come down, stay in their village, and just do the slow travel stuff. There's no zip lines. There's no checking things off your bucket list. It's like you're literally there for like four days in the village, uh, doing some uh, biochar forest uh, forest gardening with them, and really cool stuff happening down there. Wow! And so they wanted to add tree climbing to that as well, a place where people could go up, lay lie down in in the tree boats, and just really connect with the forest versus just zipping through the forest so i'm training the staff down there and we're up i don't know probably 30 meters or so uh beautiful beautiful birola tree and um all of a sudden a bunch of bees got around me you know and they were just bees they weren't they weren't tagging me but they were swarming around and i looked over at uh, tasio one of the students i was uh, working with and said hey guys we gotta go down the bees are here the bees are here and and these uh brazilians you know they they no, they they know the forest quite well and Cassio looks at them and he goes oh those are stainless bees you're okay I'm like I don't care man no bees. we're getting down we're getting down and I'm looking at them like I don't think they stainless bees and uh, he saw me kind of you know freaking out a little bit uh, and he goes hey Tim just think of the color blue right now stop what you're doing just think of the color blue so I, I just stopped I thought of the color blue I kid you not 10 seconds later that swarm of bees, gone. He just took off.
7: Uh-huh. No
5: idea. I'm looking at Tatsu, like, what the heck? And he goes, native philosophy. Don't question it. Just don't question it. And uh, and uh, so, you know, we still went down, though. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if they're coming back or not, you know. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the time, everything, we went back to that training tree, you know. Um, and the rest of the time, there's you know, bees didn't come through. And that's the one thing down there. You know, here in the States, and in temperate zones, um, you know, I work with students. We have what we call tame trees, you know, trees that have been cleaned out of hazards and there's usually not insect nests up there and things like that. Um, but, man, down in the tropics, there's no such thing as a tame tree. I mean, one day there could be nothing in the tree, but the next night, you know, the next day throughout that night, it could be a huge ant swarm that moved into the tree or snakes or monkeys or whatever, big old scorpions and spiders and all that stuff too. So, um, yeah, there's
0: a lot more creepy crawlies down there than we have here in the, in the temperate forest. Yeah. That, that's wild, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to change directions just a little bit here. Um, yeah. cause I'm kind of curious. One of the things that I love about your story is you've kind of made your own path, you know, there, this is not an industry that, you know, there's a path to do it and you just made it happen. And I was kind of wondering what, I don't know if it's what gave you the confidence, or is there something about growing up, or what what kind of made you decide, "Hey, I'm going to do my own thing here." Like, you know, there's not a recreational tree climbing, much less international traveling industry going on, and you just made that happen, man. That that's always been one of the things that really impressed me about what you're doing, and I just, uh, yeah, I think that's awesome.
7: Yeah,
5: yeah, cool. Yeah, it's been a it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, you know, when I was when I was younger, I mean, I don't know how far back we want to go with all this, but, um, I always kind of throughout high school and even, you know, junior high, um, had that punk rock attitude, do it yourself, do it yourself attitude, you know, in the punk rock scene, it was just like creating your own path in life and just kind of questioning things. And so that was been deeply rooted within my psyche. Um, and then in 1990, 91, late 91, early 92, um, I was training in the martial arts and, uh, training in the uh, art of ninjutsu down in Atlanta, Georgia. And, uh, one day at those trains, this guy walks into the dojo and this dude was just covered in sawdust and he walks into the dojo and he, Shakes like a dog, and now there's sawdust flying everywhere in the dojo. And if you guys know anything about it, kind of that the sacredness of a dojo, <laughs> I thought for sure, oh my gosh, Sensei is gonna be mad about this guy. Yeah, and uh, everybody welcomed it in. They go, "Hey, Bongo," I'm like, all right, this is an interesting cat here, you know. So um, I trained with him that night, and uh, come to find out, you know, he had a tree company, you know, called Tree Man. And this was back in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. And uh, so he asked me, he's like, hey, you know, you want to come and do some tree work with me? And uh, at the time, I was a a chef in a Jamaican restaurant. Um, And so I was ready to kind of get out of the restaurant business and want to be outside. But, um, you know, I knew nothing about climbing trees, you know, besides. You know, old school hand over hand foot over foot type of climbing, uh, which I still did a little bit of, you know, um, but uh, was slowly getting away from that. And so anyway, I went to go do some work with uh, the Tree Man, and uh, first day on the job, you know, I see him up there jumping around, um, moving around up in the treetop, and go, oh my gosh that's not the way i used to do it you know and once again this is back in the early 90s back in the back in the day of the wooden carabiners and uh, <laughs> i mean there was like one way of climbing and that was the taunt line i mean the Blake hitch wasn't even around at this time you know so we're using the top line hitch with the magnet hitch and uh but anyway i'm watching watching uh peter run around up in the treetop and it looks like fun but you know i'm on the ground and just dragging brush and doing that but um after a few days of this, it's like, man, I want to be up there. That looks like where the fun's at. So I would literally look over his shoulder as he was tying these knots, and I would just draw them out. There was no internet, there were no books on this uh, subject at all. And so I was looking over his shoulder, um, drawing the knots the best I could, you know. And I borrow gear on the weekend and go home and attempt the climb. And of course, I'm tying things wrong and things aren't working so well, but. Uh, I was determined to figure out a way to actually get into the tree. And uh, uh after about six months of this, I was finally figuring it out. And at this time there's we just the only way to the only way we really climbed was body thrust, you know, is that dead fish flop kind of, you know, you drag the rope pole down and thrust the knob out. Oh, yeah. Not an easy way to climb. And we didn't we weren't even do <laughs> foot locking, you know, it was just all upper body stuff. So we um so Peter, after about six months of working with him, a tree man, invited me to his tree-climbing school. I remember looking at him going, dude, you got a school? I, mean, I could have actually paid somebody to learn how to do this safely. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I didn't tell you about my school. And I'm like, no, you never know about your school. So uh, so I show up at the at the school in Atlanta, and I'm assuming, because I was in my early 20s it? better shape I am now and so I thought it was gonna be like all these like athletic guys and gals there climbing trees and I show up and there are literally kids, six year olds, up to these two women who are like seventy five years old. And I'm like looking at them and I'm thinking, there is no way. That these elderly women can climb this tree I'm just body crush. Like, how in the world are these women going to do it? The kids maybe they have no body mass, you know. Um, and there's probably I don't know ten or fifteen people there, um, and I'm just kind of looking around the different demographic of folk and a little shocked by it all. And so you know, Peter introduces me to the to the uh, gang right away, and um, and he, he starts pairing us up with uh, facilitating to help out these, these newbie climbers, and so. Peter goes, hey, Tim, I'm going to put you with these two elderly women.
7: <laughs> look at hands,
5: look at feet, all right. Give the dream guy the hard ones, you know. Uh, and so uh, I go to Peter. I'm like, it's like, crazy. You can't do this. You can't do this. It's impossible. I'm not going to be able to do it. And, and or, Peter's like, yeah, relax. Just chill out, man. Chill out, chill out, chill out. Just relax, relax. Take a chill pill. You know, we got a different way of doing it with the public than we do you know, in the industrial world. I'm like, Okay. And so then he introduces the foot loop and these prusik knots and these ways to use your legs to ascend up. And I'm looking at this like, oh, my gosh, that is so much
0: easier than the way I was taught.
5: And uh, after about,
0: yeah. Were you doing single rope or double rope with that? All double rope. All double okay. rope. Now, when we did okay.
5: tree work in 1992, we were doing single rope to get into the tree. Um, so we were using the old Jumars. We had the old gold Jumars,
0: yep, and nice. uh,
5: so we up, we jug up the rope uh, to the top, and then we would switch over to double rope technique once we got to the top and then work the tree down double rope.
7: Okay.
5: Um, and so Peter brought some of the caving tools and rock climbing stuff over from his rock climbing career. Um, into the trees. And there was no one else in the land at this time doing a single rope uh, technique.
7: No, very now, the few people in the never, world.
5: <laughs> very few <laughs> in the world doing it. Yeah, for yeah. tree work back then, nobody. Did. Yeah, yeah. Now, the one thing is, though, he never taught us how to descend. You know, it's like you just went <laughs> up with the ascenders, had of switch over and come down. And we never questioned it. It's like, well, what happens if we got to plug our IPs halfway up? Yeah. There, you know It's like, it's never crossed our mind you even
6: question it yeah uh,
5: but, but for the general public it was all double rope technique.
6: yeah yeah so the ascent method for the public was you tie a foot loop with a prusik and then they yeah. would stand up advance their hitch sit into that and then advance the foot loop and repeat that process exactly. is that what it is exactly okay.
5: exactly so it's kind of sit stand push sit stand push and um, you know, not not a real fast method, no. But it was it, it was a different different uh, mindset that we were doing this anyway. You know, there's a the famous author out there, Robert Fulghum, who's also a, a tree climber. He wrote the book "All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten." Um, so that guy, if you guys have read that book, and he's a tree climber, was a tree climber with us as well. And he put it perfectly. And this philosophy has pretty much guided me for the past thirty years doing this stuff. He said. Think of tree climbing more as a place to be versus a thing to do. Yeah. And that philosophy right there, it changes everything. It gets people that, especially grandmas and grandpas or kids or whoever, it just takes the pressure off that I have to get up there. No, this is a place you're going to be. It's not, not a thing you're doing. It's a place to get you to the same place. And so when I heard that, you know, um, it, it definitely it's, kind of anchored my philosophy in the way i teach too um but uh back to atlanta working with these ladies um i mimic what peter's doing i get these two ladies on rope and uh uh next thing i know boom you know after like literally a two three minute little lesson um they start climbing up this you know, half inch uh, safety blue rope, and they're getting to the low branch in this beautiful century-year-old white oak tree. Um, and they sit on that branch 25 feet up or so, um, tickled pink. You know, they haven't climbed the tree in 65 years.
7: Yeah.
5: Uh, they really didn't think they'd ever climb a tree again in their life. You know, and here they were in a tree 25 feet up after just a two-minute lesson from what I did to them. And of course, I'm nervous because i like, oh my God, they're my hands.
7: Uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, kill these old ladies. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm, like,
5: oh, I'm going to be responsible for it. There's been no, no accidents so far. I'll be the first one. Uh, there's so much pressure on me. And um, once I realized they were safe, I looked around the rest of that crown of that uh, beautiful oak tree. And there was literally like 10, 15 people up there. And there was this huge demographic. There was this very conservative couple. Sitting up there, talking next to this, you know, hippie chick. You know, they were up there just, you know, talking about trees, talking about trees climbing. A, they used to climb as little kids. You know, there was this punk rock kid with a big blue mohawk. Um, back then, we didn't wear helmets. You know, Actually, <laughs> <the exorcism laughs> are a little bit different. Uh, but he yeah, was. Often pins, you know, there's mohawk, and and he was sitting next to the grandmas, you know, and they were just all, you know, talking and and uh, chatting about uh, climbing trees in their backyards, you know, and they were little kids, and it's just this and this huge different demographic going on, and I realized at that moment nobody was having political debates, philosophical discussions, you know, I mean, religious talk. It was just it was just people being people. You know, there was, everybody was like on the same page. You know, this is something, I think pretty much everybody was their first time doing it. Um, They all had a story to share. Everybody was eager to hear other people's stories. Uh, And it's this beautiful bonding that was happening in the tree. And I realized it was the tree that brought these people together. You know, these people would not talk to each other outside of this experience. Um, And at that moment, I remember looking over at Peter and something inside me just, the light bulb went on it's like i gotta do more of this this is this is needed out there in the world um and so these ladies came down they gave me a big old hug you, and i'm just like oh, okay you're welcome i didn't really do much no number one the tree did it number two you guys had courage to come out here try something new trust complete strangers uh so you had something internal inside of you driving me to do this. so You know, yeah, I I appreciate it. You're welcome. But really, you need to thank yourself, too, for that. Um, And at that moment, I pretty much every weekend, I was volunteering with Tree Climbers International. And that was the world's first tree climbing school. Uh, They started back in 1983 They're in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, And uh, when Peter started that school, a fun little fact here is when he started that school, um, he had no support from the Arborist community nothing in fact they looked at him kind of as the an antichrist because he was giving away trade secrets he was giving away oh, how to get yeah. ropes and trees, how to tie knots the arborist community uh pretty kind of shunned him there for a while because they were worried that he was going to be teaching people how to go off and climb trees and do their own tree work in their backyard they would be out of a job you know and peter's like dude, I'm working with like
3: 75-year-old
0: women and six-year-old kids. You know, they're not going to be turning a chainsaw yep, up there. blowing tops uh, out at six years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that also talks about where the industry was back then because I remember when I first totally. – I started in uh, 96, and when I first started doing tree work, the other company in town, you know, you, you, your only interaction with them was kind of glaring at them while you drove by them in a tree truck. You know, there wasn't the camaraderie right. that we have today. And it's one of the things I love about the industry. You know, there's multiple tree companies sitting around the table that we're at right now. You know, it, it's it's a beautiful thing. But back it's then beautiful. it was a different different situation. I passed a yeah, tree people were crew territorial.
6: The, yeah. passed a tree crew the other day and every, we all like, woo, and threw up like the surf upside sign and honked the horns and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right on, yeah.
5: right on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was. It was like, it was almost like... Little gangs out there, you know. This is like my turf, my territory. Yeah. I got a little five points You guys got Buckhead, you got, you know, down in Atlanta, these little suburbs of Atlanta. And uh, it was, yeah. And it was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was crazy, you know. Huh. Um, so, yeah, watching it grow over the past, you know, three decades, it's, um, oh my gosh, it's just shot especially in the last, you know, 10 years, last 10, to 15 years. Oh my gosh, it's just, you know. Uh, snowball effect with
0: everything so so how Uh, how did you take it from uh from you know teaching 70 year old uh ladies in the backyard how to climb up a little tree to going on adventures in jungles around the world
5: right so um i ended up gosh so i i took the um so I kept doing tree work for like five years, you know, I was just, I had to make money. You know, there was no, I just was to making money on teaching people how to really climb or facil- I was facilitating more than teaching. And then I t- took five years off and I traveled around the country with the children's tree show. Um, and during that time, I was climbing in different parts of the country. You know, I was like working literally four days a week, had three days off. So I was taking these skills in the different trees and different eco, different environments and ecosystems and things like that. And then I had summers off, and so I started doing a lot of traveling overseas and just take these skills on my own and just try, you know, climbing in Thailand or down in Central America. Uh, pretty much just get a taxi out there to the forest. All right, drop me off here, come back in two hours, you know. And I'm, the I'm a tree. not the safest way to be doing knew where I was, you know. And, uh, uh, but, you know, once again, I had that little spiritual adventure. Uh, and then I think it was in 2000, maybe 2001, um, I was invited to go to ITEC, which is the Institute for Tropical Ecology and Conservation, uh, down in panama and a small little island uh bocas del toro uh down there and um so i went down there to help uh teach uh canopy research course and while we were down there's myself and this other friend uh teaching this course and we got talking to and of course after a couple beers or quite a few beers actually and we got just kind of you know shooting the shit and I was like hey you know why don't we? Uh, bring a bunch of clients down here and you know this is great for research but what about just fun just do the kind of a little recreational tree climbing expedition down here to your guys's field station we have the infrastructure here you know you guys got places for the students to stay i could bring clients in you got some open to stay and uh and uh pete lahanis uh, the professor there is like that sounds great. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so like, as you know, most things start, you know, it's over a table and a bunch of beer and a napkin. And so we started kind of drawing up how this would actually look. And then I think it was in 2002, like the next year, about eight months later, we um, actually uh, brought a group down there, down to Panama. That was the first first tree climbing expedition that I'm aware of. You know, um, I don't know if anyone else really doing it with the client. I knew friends that were going off Climbing, you know, in different parts of the world. But these are people where we just did some advertising um, through the message board back then and um, had a group of about 12 people that uh, came out um, to this, uh, the first tree climbing expedition down in Panama. And after that, it was kind of like, all right, you know what? I think there's a, a niche here um, that. Uh, to be filled you know by taking more people out into remote areas um in a safe environment or a semi-safe environment you know uh, and doing these climbs so and on that first climb there was um i don't know if you guys know what dick flowers is an old-time arborist from michigan he wrote one of the first books on tree climbing at think it's called the recreational tree climber uh-huh.
0: and uh, he was part of that part of that expedition I, I know the book but i don't recognize the name but yeah. I guess that shows you yeah. how good of a book it is. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was like one of those first, it was before the like, Two Climbers Companion and all that. And It was, yeah, one of the first. And it was just literally like kind of hand sketches and things like that. Um, and uh, I had a, it's probably still out there somewhere. I know a new tribe was still in a while.
7: But, yeah, uh,
5: but yeah, yeah. So that was the beginning of those expeditions, you know, uh, I was doing that. And then uh, after that, I started doing stuff on Amazon. Like I said, mainly just teaching these guys first, so they could take their clientele into the trees, and then like, hey, you guys want to, you know, partner up and uh, collaborate on a project? Um, And they were all about that, and so I just started doing more down there at the Amazon, bringing. uh, It started off with my students, uh, people that were going through the tree climbing planet courses, or at that time I was working. Uh, with New Tribe, I uh, had the uh, first tree climbing school west of the Rockies uh, with a new tribe at, called Tree Climbing Northwest. And um, so we took some, some of our uh, students down there, and it um, yeah. just kind of blossomed from there.
0: Yeah, I remember, I think the first time I met you was between when you went down there uh, and did that first climb, and then it was before you went down and did that first trip or it was after you did that first trip, and it was before you went and opened up the school in Grants Pass with New Tribe. And you were, you were uh, traveling around, and Rob was doing uh, some of the PTCI stuff, and you, you know, I think you were just kind of checking out Oregon, and you were looking for a place to, to park your bus, and it was probably Scott Altenhoff that connected us. I'm not exactly sure how the connection happened yeah. But you were camping at the uh, Sperry shop for a couple couple nights while you're in town in your RV, and just I remember just hanging out, drinking beers with you. Just kind of it was like this guy's in town, and I had just got back from Costa Rica on a surf trip. You know, I'd spent a few months down there, and we were just kind of swapping stories and talking about that. And you said something to the effect of like Yeah, you know how you are into cl- uh, surfing and you travel surfing." He's like, "And you're like, that's that's kind of how I am with trees." And it kind of blew my mind in a way, because for me, tree climbing had always been what I do to make money. You know, I never thought about mm-hmm. it as like going on adventures and doing all that. And then all of a sudden it was like, holy smokes, this guy is, you know, traveling down to Central America and climbing these crazy trees and going on these adventures. And I don't know, that, that's that been one of those things that stuck with me. You know, it, it, it changed my perspective, right. you know, that. As one of those moments, right. <laughs> right, tying in the surfing there, and that was one of the inspirations for me. That that movie, the
5: endless summer, yeah, you know, where the guys are just traveling around surfing. It's like I want to do that with trees. I just want to climb around, just travel around the world climbing trees, you know. So yep. the endless, the endless canopy, or
0: something the endless like canopy. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I like it. Well, and I remember when we were hanging out. I think you were talking about. I don't know if you had gone to down to Amazon yet or not, but you were talking about wanting to set up a trip and. You know, I, I was like, oh, man, that'd be so cool. And since then, a couple times you've just reached out and been like, hey, man, I'm doing a trip. You know, what do you think? And I just have never taken you up on it. And I got to say, it's one of those things that I've always regretted because right. uh, that's so we're going to need to make it happen. I'm 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 telling you now, keep asking because it will happen. And right. uh, for, for me, one of the first times, and I, I actually told this story in the last podcast because we were talking – Uh, to Ricardo Vasquez who just got back from Central America where he's doing trainings. But Mm -hmm. one of the first times I like just, uh, you know, tree climbing blew my mind is I was like 16 and I was down in Costa Rica and we were in Monte Verde and we were hiking, Mm -hmm. we were hiking through these, uh, these, you know, jungles and there was strangle figs there. And I remember just climbing up, you know, I was always the kid that was climbing everything. And so you know, I just kind of found a strangle fig, and it was a giant one, and the tree had rotted out from inside. So I was able mm-hmm. to climb up the interior of the strangle fig mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. came out of the canopy. And, you know, it was a long time ago, so I can't remember how big it was. But I wanted to, I want to say it's like it was over 150 feet up. You know, I was mm-hmm. at the top of the canopy. I could I could see the treetops, and it just yeah. blew in my mind. And ever since then, just being like, oh, this yeah. is something I want to do. So, yeah. like... I gotta get back to the gotta get back to the jungle, and uh, whether it's a strangle figure or not, I want to get back in that canopy. I've done done like I was saying, some of those zipline tours, but one thing that you're saying is, you know, about how zipline tours you just fly through them, and that was one of my takeaways because I remember going through this zipline tour and seeing a monkey on one, and then seeing like cool birds on the other. And feeling like, man, I want to stop halfway through the zip line and just exist in the canopy and not just like, boom, to the next station, boom, to the next station. You know, I want to chill with that monkey. Exactly. Exactly. You You know,
5: know? we got to, yeah, we got to go pay some homage to our ancestors, you know? Yes, sir. Like, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: Yeah. No, that, that'd be, well, and that's the difference between tree climbing, as you're saying, when you're, when you're onto that zipline, you're flying through. But when you're tree climbing, you're kind of forced to just hang out for a while,
5: you know. Yeah, because you you're gotta slow
0: down a little bit. You yeah, get
5: into that you get into that tree time.
0: You yeah, know? you exactly. You hit that tree time, and then you see everything different. It it becomes a yeah. whole different experience. You know, it's totally. a place where you're going. It's not a be. thing you're doing when yep. you're ziplining. Yeah. And that's the thing <laughs> you're doing. I Dude, love that. Yep. I love that when you you emailed that uh, that to me when we were talking about doing an episode. And w- the second I read that, I was like, oh, man, this has to come up in the conversation because that's yeah. what it's about. It's a place that you're going.
5: Yeah, that's that's been it for me. You know, it truly has, you know, and, and especially in the tropics, you know. I mean, it's beautiful anywhere. I just get to a small apple tree in the back of the cherry tree in the front yard here. And, uh, you know, it's just five feet off the ground. You know, you don't have to be gone for very long um, or very high up. And there's just this other world that kind of starts to reveal itself to you, you know, especially if you can slow down, you know, that can be the hard part for some people. If they have a hard time just sitting still in the tree, it's like they want to be moving. They want to be doing something up there, you know, I got to do this, I got to do that. But to get people to get up there and just just be, don't move, you know. And in the tropics, you really got to be mindful of that. you gotta, you got to climb slow and methodical because if you're jumping around and hot dogging around that you're going to be disrupting the wildlife that's around there. And the ants or the bees and the neighboring trees, um, are going to see that and boom, all of a sudden you become, you become a threat to them, you know?
7: Yeah. Um,
5: so there is this different mindset kind of going on, the different, you know, um, just little slower climbing. It's like, there's no rush to get up there, you know? Um, put if you are, if you're too tunnel vision getting to the top, and I say this with my, I do a lot of, um, Redwood expeditions too, uh, not a lot. Once a year, we go down and uh, climb into some old growth redwood trees on some private property. It's the only place I, I know of in the world where one can, you know, a novice can legally sign up and do something like this. You know, um, so we just do it for a couple weeks. But um, I get, I tell the students or clients, you know, just you know, don't get tunnel vision, get into the top. If you're tunnel vision, get into the top, you're going to miss all the magic on the way up. You know. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the really good vistas and windows are actually down lower, you know. Um, and of course sometimes we get these people that want to go a little bit faster and we just we have to slow them down, you know. It's like, oh, just hang out there, you know. And then we start talking about the ecosystem and what's happening on the way up to the to the uh, old growth redwood forest too. But but uh in the tropics, man, if you don't slow down sometimes, uh Mother Nature will yeah, yeah, she's one to we reckon with there. So Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, <laughs> have you seen that movie Medicine Man? with Sean Connery no, yeah. that movie back from the eighties? Yeah. 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 That was one of my first uh peeks into what the tropical canopy was like because they had those triolian traverses. They weren't zip lines, you know, where he was just slowly pulling himself through the canopy and it just blew my mind. Like, I don't know, fourteen or fifteen when I saw the movie. It's like, what is going on? What kind of world is that? They look alien, you know. Um, and that stuck with me. The first time I went down to Panama, um, that really, really hit me as well. It's like, this is exactly what they're trying to get a point, the point across in, uh, Medicine Man, you know. And, um, and Monte Verde. Yeah, I didn't know you've been to Monte Verde. That place is awesome. You know, I've done some work with some canopy researchers down there. And I may have climbed that same fig tree you're talking about, the hollowed out one. Uh, the one that I climbed on the inside, it was kind of growing on the side of a hill, a cliffside, and there was a waterfall in the background. I remember climbing up to the top, looking out over a waterfall. So, You,
0: you uh, know, I know it, I, it's been so long, I I can't remember. You know, it's one of those memories where it's just like little bits in here and there, and I can't remember. Gotcha. I remember it was right next to a path. You know, we were kind of hiking. Mm-hmm. So when, when I went there, I was in high school, and I went to uh, Quaker school. And so mm-hmm. we went there because Monte Verde was founded by okay. Quakers that were, they didn't want to participate in World War II. So yep. they they just started literally with machetes and their old cars back in the yep. day, just started going south. And they just kept going until that's where they settled. They, yep. you know, they couldn't go through the forest anymore. Uh, so they just, you know... Their cars broke down or for whatever reason, they stopped right there and they just set up a village and (laughs) or set up a camp and it became a village, you know. And uh, it was pretty cool because we were actually staying there. uh, There was a couple of the original people that were on that expedition. Uh, I can't even remember his name because I was a stupid high school kid that didn't care about it (laughs) nearly as much as I should have at the time. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I was more, I was more like, man, I want to get out in the jungle and see the, see what kind of wildlife right. I can't find, you know? But uh, yeah, there was a few of them and they had a, there was a big, uh, a place that we stayed and that they had the little compound there. And we, so we stayed there and there for dinner, we'd all get together. And so there was two or yeah. three of them still alive and they'd hang out there. And uh, yeah, that place it was a trip. I, that, that's a place I I really want to get back to. And uh, yeah. it, it could be because it, it was by far the biggest one that I remember, and it was super easy mm-hmm. access because we were, we were on a, a group hike. You know, they were leading us through this trail. And you know, I just saw this tree and was compelled to climb it. <laughs> you know, right. I just remember the <laughs> teachers yelling at me like, "You need to get down here now!" Yeah. And be like, "Well, I know you're not going to come get me, and I want to get to the top." Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll pay the price
5: later. But right now, this is where I'm headed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Pretty Send me home? A for life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with the consequences later. But right yeah. now, I'm climbing. Exactly.
3: <laughs> exactly exactly yeah well, uh, yeah so yeah that's a cool
5: spot man Monteverde and those in the Quakers too when i was down there i worked with a, a group called Canopy in the Clouds uh they were doing some educational uh, online uh uh, oh just like a uh, some a cool website i think i think it's still up too where the children here back in the states um could sign up for this curriculum of learning about the uh the uh, cloud forest, and when they got into the cloud forest on the website, they could kind of zoom around with the with the photos and all that there, and zoom in on like an orchid or something like that and learn about it. But um, yeah, if anybody's got kids out there, just bring them for yourselves. Check out canopyintheclouds It's a really fun interactive uh, uh, website of what it's like to be in the uh, cloud forest, wow. you know, up in the canopy in the cloud forest. So so I was out there working with these researchers, um, helping to get lines in the trees and. Um, you know, get them set up for the camera shots. Um, and that was a job I was getting there for a while is that researchers would just hire me to come out and just set lines for them, you know, because I could rig three or four trees in a day where sometimes it's taking them three days to rig one tree because their specialty is not so much climbing trees. It was just more doing the research when they got into the trees or actually brought their specimens down back from the canopy. Um, and so I tree this little unique niche where they would, you know, hire me, fly me out. And it wasn't a whole lot of pay involved with it, but, um, heck, I got a client in Monte Verde, you know, and other places around the world. So
0: that's amazing.
5: Um, and that was one of my goals there too. Back in I think it was 2004, I went to a Canopy conference in, um, in India. And this is with new tribe. Uh, so Sophia, myself and Casey, um, Jones from new tribe and went down went to the Canopy conference every four or five years. Um, Canopy researchers around the world, they get together, they kind of pull their data at one location. It's always in some cool, unique, exotic spot, you know. And so on this conference here, uh, Kennedy May, Meg, Meg Lauman, invited me down there to come and teach a course. You know, they'd never had that before. They never had um, a tree climbing course at these canopy conferences. Because the way that, you know, a lot of canopy researchers were taught it was just from their, their mentors, you know, from their mentors. And so it was a lot of just really, you know, like, like Prusik knot. That's all they were using, going up a single rope with the Prusiks, and they were kind of just stuck. Because they had no idea how to move out laterally. You know, they just, that just did not enter into the picture. And uh, working with a Harvard professor in Panama, uh, he was up there, went up at SRT, and he had kind of pole chompers and was um, – Cutting fruit out of the tree and it was all falling to the ground. He had the students beneath them trying to gather the fruit. And I remember looking him like, Dude, what do you want? He's like, Well, I need that fruit there. And so I branch walked out, grabbed the fruit, brought it back, gave it to him. He's like, How'd you do that?
7: How'd you move out there? You know,
5: he's this guy's written a, a Harvard paper on how to climb trees and he had no idea if you could actually branch walk. <laughs> that world just did not exist to them huh. and so after that i started kind of getting my foot into the canopy research into the science science world you know as, as a trainer You know, i'm not a researcher i'm not a scientist um but uh, we started to teach the researchers and, and the scientists uh, how to climb because that was a skill they were lacking you know a lot of canopy research is actually done from the ground with binoculars you know and um uh, or the Back in the day, they were like gassing out the, the canopy, and whatever just died and fell out, and they'd collect that on the ground and start studying that. You know? um, but the so this canopy are this uh, canopy conference in India, I went out there with new tribe, taught the uh, a bunch of researchers from around the world uh, how to climb trees, and, and then I was I always give back to those communities. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna you know, spend an extra couple weeks here in India. And just train the local folk, you know. Um, and because, you know, the money's tight, you know, and for them to come out and take a week long course, it's kind of hard for them to spend a thousand bucks, which, you know, half a year's wages. And so um, I went out to the Western Ghats in India and was working at the King Cobra Research Center, you know, um, training some of these herpetologists uh, that are going after the King Cobras. The King Cobras will get into these villages and then. Once they get into the village, the snakes will sometimes get up in the trees in the center of a village, and a lot of these remote villages, the snakes are, you know, highly sacred and highly respected. They believe um, that they are like reincarnated shamans, you know, from the past. So the elders, when they see the king cobra come into the village, they just ignore it. They don't even look at it. They just kind of ignore it, let go about their business, um, stay away. Of course, the kids, you know, want to run. them touch you know old grandpa joe or whatever you know <laughs> and uh, and the snake will hit the tree you know running away and get from the tree and they can live up in these trees you know for a couple of weeks uh which does put stress on the village too it's like okay we need to get the snake out so so they would they'd hire a gallery the guys i was training him and his team um to go up there and uh, get these snakes out but by this time i'd worked enough in the tropics with it i'm not a snake person yeah Yeah. give me the heebie jeebies you know (laughs) and so by this time i worked with enough herpetologists that in my contract i was like i'm happy to teach you but i had not kept, snake. Yeah. <laughs> no, that not kept the snake. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds bonkers.
0: And uh, especially
5: the king cobra, you know, especially yeah. the king <laughs> totally. cobra yeah. because, I mean, that's like, it's called the king for a reason. I mean, they're going through the, I mean, elephants will walk the other way if they see one of these snakes. They will like let and go, nope, go in this direction. Um, nothing messes with the king, you know. Uh, and so when I was out on the field with them, I, was, I remember asking them, I was like, so where's the anti-venom? You know, where's the anti-venom? And they look at me and they go, Tim, the anti-venom is... Don't get bit. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, seriously, guys. What's the anti venom? Don't get bit. Seriously, don't get bit. (laughs) That's the anti venom. What do you mean? What if? He goes, no, you just don't. You just don't. (laughs) (laughs) And because it's so remote, there's no refrigeration out there, you
0: know, so they have no way to store the anti venom. So so Mm. you just don't get bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is. (laughs) You're telling this story about teaching people to climb trees after snake, after king cobras. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, reading a travel a travel report for Sri Lanka. You know, there's there's some really good surf in Sri Lanka. So me and my buddy mm-hmm. were looking at potential surf trips, and we look at Sri Lanka, and it starts talking about king cobras, which will uh, on the beach will travel up to 35 miles an hour. Like, they can fly. They said, the thing said, you'll just see a cloud of sand just oh flying gosh. down the beach. You know? That's, so That's the last thing you see. Exa- and that's the last <laughs> yeah. thing you see. And so when you're telling me stories about climbing up in the tree after this creature, it's like, but why I mean, <laughs> it, like if it wants to be in the tree let it be in the tree you know? yeah. <laughs> like, you, don't, yeah. go don't go after
3: it you thought rescuing a cat it, from the top no, of a tree was bad Yeah. Oh. exactly yeah
5: oh yeah, man yeah. no it's crazy man it's some it's some crazy stuff out there and uh and that's what these guys when they go out there they'd rescue or get it out of the tree because it's in the village that's why they were taking it out and they just go relocate it somewhere else you know and put it back in this natural environment so it wasn't becoming a threat you know because the dogs are barking at it and everything else Yeah. you know then you get that you know you get that younger kid you know that 15 year old or so with a machete and you know wants to kill something you know how I many people are people you know especially teenagers and uh, that was always a worry of these guys too you know is that yeah. the wrong people are going to come in and try to you know they're going to kill the snake thinking it's bad you know
7: so yeah.
0: like if we can get up there and safely relocate them um and, Yeah, I guess I uh, guess yeah. you can't just have King Cobras hanging out in the tree in the backyard. <laughs> nah, nah, nah.
5: Yeah, it's kinda like yeah, you know, it's kinda like having copperheads uh out here down in the southeast in the way like living underneath your deck. You know, it's like I'm all about everything living together, but man, I don't want a copperhead living on my deck when I go out on the back porch in the middle and I to go pee. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I don't uh, have to worry about a copperhead tagging me. So. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> that, yeah. That's a little much. <laughs> well, man. Those are, those are great stories. Um, anybody else have any questions that you can think of?
3: What kind of techniques were these, the researchers using when they were climbing? Uh,
0: so
5: when I teach it, um, I teach everything uh, originally starting off with just, you know, DRT, basic, Blake uh, Sitch stuff, you know. Gotcha. Uh, so my school, the foundation is based off of that. This is where uh, TCI came from as well, um, teaching these basics out. I've stuck with that over the years. You know, I get I get that question quite a bit. Well, why aren't you teaching this other stuff? And we do teach the we do teach the other other stuff that's out there too. Yeah. But the foundation is first that, and the reason, the big reason being, I remember I was climbing with some um ar- some well-known arbors there in the northwest, and we were up um it was just an oak tree. with was super high, thirty forty feet up or so, and he you know, had his lanyard on and everything, and he was taking his hitch cord off and dropped his hitch cord. Uh, to the ground and wanted me to go down and grab his hitch cord he was stuck.
0: Oh, like, yeah. what are you
3: talking
5: Jeez. about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like, no, I can't get down. I'm stuck. Me, can't get down. You got your rope. Your rope didn't fall. You still have your rope, you know?
3: Yeah, close system. He was,
5: yeah, right? he just, yeah, he just never caught that. Yeah, he was gotcha. never, ever caught that, you it's, know? It's... Uh, and it was an eye-opener for me. It's like, you know what? People need to learn. need to know how to rescue themselves in yeah. a situation with this. So the way I teach it is that, you know, I'm going to give you the... Uh, the the bones, you know, and then after you got the bones, a strong skeleton of tree climbing techniques, go out there and learn the other stuff or come back for advanced courses and put your own meat on the bones, You know, so to
3: speak. Yeah. That's how Uh, I learned mostly too, is, uh, just starting DRT with a Blake's hitch and then, uh, you know, moving up to important. Yeah. Moving up to press it cord with the hitch climber system. And then from there, mechanical devices and so far and so forth. Yeah. Totally. Totally.
5: It makes total sense for me. And it just seems to be, I don't know uh, I don't know there's something about you know respecting that lineage too of uh, where this stuff came from, where it evolved from you know um, and so um, learning those learning those those super basic simple things now I, I tell the students too you know it's like this is not the quickest way to get in the tree or even the most energy efficient way to get in the tree you yeah. know but it is definitely one of the safest ways to get in the tree just because the lack of extra links in the chain. You right. know, there um, are yep. very few links in the chain for something to go wrong. You know, you got a hitch cord. You got two sewn eyes right there. So right there, you just double that. One of those so eyes can go, and then with everything else. You know, yep. so there's all these. Uh, you know, there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, and you know, we, I guess, like I said, we got some advanced courses. These students come back for that. But we start off with the blakes, and then like um, in the redwood climbs, um so I'm working with. You know, first time clients, you know, first time climbers, some of them don't even know what a carabiner is, you know, yeah. um, and they're showing up from around the world. You know, I've had people, I had one guy from Dubai, he flew out from Dubai, flew out Friday, we climbed the Redwood on Saturday, he flew back Sunday um, and came up just for this three hour Redwood climb. Um, and so we have them on Texas system. You know, I think it's the same stuff that, you know, PTCI was doing, you know, and the beautiful thing with that Texas system, just the two ascenders, you know, um, is that we don't want the clients going down on their own. You know, there's just too much risk coming down. As you guys, you know, being arbs, you know, that yeah. sometimes the most dangerous part of the climbing system is the actual descent. You know, yeah. uh, you start going too fast and you grab on tighter, then you just come down even quicker, and then the ground rushes up and hits you. And uh, yeah, it kind of ruins the day there. Uh, so yeah, so we teach that there a lot of it with the, with the Texas system. Um, I do a lot in the red. I've worked with quite a few canopy researchers in the, the redwoods too. And um, climbing up into some of these, you know, three thousand year old giant sequoias, uh, just a few months ago, I was working with a well known researcher, and um, you know, we were we we're talking about the different techniques, you know, and they're still using the petzl ascenders and coming down with either a greegri or a rig, just are like descending with. And so we got talking about, you know, the rope, the uh, rope ranch and um, these other hitch cord systems. And um, they were saying, no, they don't even allow that in the trees out there Hmm. uh, because on these long descents coming down 300 feet on a hitch cord, have yeah, the tendency to really melt yeah, the rope melt it. really bad, yeah. 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 And, so, and it just it damages their ropes, and they've had you know some other climbers come out and help them and assist. And after seeing what was happening to their rope from the you know the hitch cords, you know, fifty feet, no problem, but yeah. three hundred feet, man, that's a that's a lot of friction coming down. That's going to be pretty not, bad. A lot of tension. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, so, so uh, what kind of gear were they pulling up with them? When they went to the tops of these trees, on the for the redwoods for the giant sequoias, or uh, for the researching, oh, for the for the research in the in the sequoias, yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. So uh, what they're doing, they're going up, um, you know, Texas style there. They, When I was out there working with them, uh, we were just setting lines in the tree, and they were going back later on putting sensors in the trees okay. to measure measure the water, how much water is going through the trees. And they were doing it – there was a prescribed burn that was going to be happening in uh, Yos, uh, Yosemite. And so there's only been two times I heard that there were permits issued to actually climb the giant sequoias in Yosemite, and I just happened to be on those permits. So I feel so blessed and so oh, wow. to actually be able to climb in Yosemite, out there in these giant sequoias. But, uh, but yeah, they were going to do some water measurements before the burns, um, and then after the prescribed burns, you know, how much gotcha. water is going through. Um, and so, yeah, uh, if you look up, I think this well, it's called the Marmot Society. Um, Anthony Ambrose and Wendy Baxter, um, and Steen Christensen are the main movers and shakers with the Marmot Society. Um, they're doing some pretty cool stuff. They just did a big episode with David Attenborough. Uh, I think it's gonna be on, you know, six months or something like that. And then they just went up and climbed with uh, Jeff Goldberg or Goldblum. Goldberg, is that the actor guy? I don't know. Oh Goldblum. Yeah, yeah, so they just climbed with them too. So uh, they're getting some, you know, they're getting some uh, good uh, publicity right now and spotlight on their research that they're finding um, what's happening, these old growth giant sequoia trees and climate change. You know, that they're being able to prove that now there is definitely climate change happening right now. Yeah. These trees are getting weaker. And they believe that, um, there you know, we always thought redwoods, you know, there's no insects gonna be damaging these things, and that's not true. Now the insects are coming in and yeah. there's becoming some damage going on there. So. Wow. Wow. so, tough times, tough times for the uh, for the elders right now, mm. yeah. yeah,
0: that's awful, yeah, that that's no good at all, well, you know.
2: Usually, by the time the bugs show up, it's been a long time coming, yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they're it's kinda like when you Hey, you know. what can you do, man? You know, what can you do? Especially in these, you know, three thousand year old trees and that's they're just finding out that it's happening. They're not really knowing what to do to prevent it from happening, you know. But well, this is, we're, this we're is kinda of of, where the world's
2: going, man, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we're we're having a lot of the, the Doug firs getting the the fur beetle and they're Ooh. you know, the the trees are getting stressed out from the uh the drought and then they emit the alcohols and the, and that attracts the fur beetles. And then, and then the fur beetles, you know, just stress the tree out more and, and then compromise their uh, cambium and, and that's it. And yep. uh, I've got, I've got quite a few pretty big fir trees on my property and, um, and they've all got bark beetles. And as soon as I moved in, I, I found this product called uh, HCM or mch bubble caps and it emits like a pheromone that the the beetles naturally emit that basically mm-hmm. just tells the other beetles that are searching for a tree to to find home uh that it's it that there's no vacancy they say no you oh, know, keep looking yeah. and uh and i'm hoping that that's gonna gonna save a bunch of my trees you know but i've already lost a couple yeah. and and i've got a handful more that are flagging out and looking rough, but I've been watering them and giving them some good fertilizer and, and then put this, this pheromone on. So, so I'm hoping that'll, that'll make a difference.
5: Right on. So this is a spray or how are you?
2: No, it's a little, it's a little packet, like a plastic um, container that has a little packet. That's about the size of a quarter with maybe like a tablespoon or maybe two tablespoons of this liquid in the in the container and it just slowly emits this pheromone. Wow. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the only thing I could think of.
7: Yeah.
5: Right. You right. Know? Well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Keep me posted on how that's working because we got quite a few furs here on the property and right now the furs are doing good. The, our Western red cedars aren't looking so hot, but,
2: um, Oh yeah. Are they flagging? Uh, is it just a flag here, flag there? Or is it like top die back?
5: um top dieback most of it um but it's uh got a professor from reed college out right here um you know looking at them too and they're still trying to figure out exactly what it is they believe it's from the drought stress from years ago actually is what's causing the dieback
7: Oh, right really really so but it's
5: not from, from yeah from several years ago just drought conditions and over time is what's causing it because the ones that are it's the ones that are really hit hard are the ones that are in that transition zone from where the oaks and the and to the firs mm-hmm. and the conifer forest yeah. um that's in getting hit the ones that are further back in the conifer forest those
2: are still going pretty strong right now and they so, probably didn't have the same impact from the drought exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um so yeah, yeah. wow now
5: there's Change everywhere, man. Change is happening. Oh,
2: so. and that—that's—that's that's a good good way to look at it. Is just change. You know, it's easy to get depressed. Oh, it is. You know? <laughs>
5: yeah, I know. It's not. We get too depressed and everything. Exactly. Practice detachment. You know, but you know, do do our best to save what we can. Of course. Oh yeah. Um,
2: just like they the do with time, one but,
5: another. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we do with one another, and huh? just like we do with yeah. one another. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, try to save it. Try to say, uh, all right, it's not worth saving this one anymore. You're out of here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, it's um, it, it's the only thing constant is change, and and there's been a lot of lot of it that's happened in the past and we have a lot to look forward to in the future for sure
7: yeah yeah
5: yeah and so and that's part of what I you know the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is to help really reconnect people back to nature you know I'm talking with you guys I'm kind of preaching to the choir with you guys you guys know what's going on you know you're up in these trees every day you're seeing it you know way more than I know what's actually happening with that with the tree biology and the, you know, the, um, the decline of them, you know, or my, mm-hmm. my vision is really just trying to get people to see the trees again. I gotta work with Joe public. I mean, I love working with the researchers and the ARB folks and all that, but it's the Joe public that, um, you know, they don't even see the trees, you know, and then once we get them into the tree, at least they see the tree now and they come down, Hopefully, when they go out to the restaurant or whatever, they're going to think twice just about grabbing that extra handful of napkins. You know, they're going to realize that wow, this is actually you know some tree skin right here. You know, Um, and uh, just kind of change their perspective on life a little bit. You know, Um,
3: well, I think I think
5: that's needed. You know, that that reconnection via education without preaching about it. Um, Because once you start preaching about it, you'll never hear me say save the trees, save the trees, because once I start doing, I've done that in the past, you know, I did some protesting and all that. Um, people, even if they agree with you, people like to argue. You know, they oh, just yeah. want to argue oh, about, yeah. about
7: how to save the trees.
5: <laughs> and it's like, you know what, dude, you guys do what you want to do to save the trees. Let me do it the way I'm doing it. Once the trees are saved, then we can come back and talk about this. But let's not waste energy, time, and money on trying and explain how to do this. You know, our end result is the same. So, uh, and so I kind of broke away from the protesters a little bit, thinking that, okay, the way I'm going to do it, I'm going to re-educate just the general public about it, you know, just oh, give I, them an experience with it
7: that's
2: and funny, then let Tim. them walk away. That, that's like the whole, that that was a bit, when I was a uh, teenager getting into arbor culture and just growing up in an arborist family, I felt like... Um, you know, I really wanted to get into the protesting scene as well. It was the right time. It was when yeah. I mean I'm in Eugene, it's all around me. Oh, God, and yeah. uh and I I became an arborist and started getting into tree climbing. I really considered diving into that whole scene. But then my mom, Teresa, uh, you know, gave me this opportunity to be a part of this um tree recreational tree climbing company and and i thought wow you know this is cool i got into it and i I thought i'm so glad that i became um yeah. so, a steward of the forest i can share the forest and the experience with people uh you know i i felt like that was such a more effective way to um um to make a change in the world yeah. you know is to share right that experience on. instead of to fight people and to be saying you can't do <clears throat> this no why not just show other yeah. people how beautiful and wonderful it is, and then they'll tell people, and it'll become, uh, you know, and uh, it, it just felt like that made a bigger difference for me, and it was more along the lines of what I wanted to be doing.
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm with you, man. I think there is. I think there's a stronger impact that way. You know, there's mm-hmm. a deeper impact when you're. Sitting there in a, like a loving environment, you know, caring person, just trying to really share this with them. Yeah. And, and then one thing that I've learned over the years, too, is when I have students or just even the general public, when I'm working with them in the trees, they'll, the first thing they usually ask me is, what kind of tree is this? And I'm like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know. You know, and I'm like, "What does the bark look like?" You know, so they look at the bark, and they're like, "What do the leaves look like?" You know, are they lobed, or what's what's going on? And so, instead of just saying it's an Oregon white oak tree, it's like I get them to actually look at the tree. So I'm answering their questions with questions. Mm-hmm. And now, once I say, "Oh, it's an Oregon white oak," okay, they're off to something else. They don't even they they don't see the tree. They they, oh, they hear great. the name that's and they nice. register that name with that type of tree, but they don't they nice. never really looked at the tree yet. You know that's what I'm saying? A, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I learned that from, it's called coyote teaching. I learned it from one of my mentors, you know, uh, about that, working with kids in nature. You know, what kind of bird is that? I don't know. And, you know I don't know. What do, what do the toenails look like? You know, what do the primary feathers look like? What about the bars around the eyes? You know, what color are those? I, I know it's an American robin, but if I tell them that, they're going to be up to something else. But get them to really look at what this thing is. And then to take it even further, well, let's look in the field guide. You know, let's go grab a... a tree book and try to figure out. And while they're looking for all these, um, you know, images, the bark and the leaves and all that there, they're learning about the elm tree and other trees too that are out there subconsciously. Um, and then you start, you know, with my students, I was sorry. well, you know, what did the natives use this tree for? It's not just mm. an oak tree. What about the acorns, you know? How did they prepare the acorns, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the tree becomes more personal to them, you know, then they really identify with it. No, you know, um, you know really what fast. I
2: would do. Probably the most common thing I probably said this I don't know ten thousand times when when I was guiding people into the canopy, and especially mm-hmm. when you are kind of distracting somebody when they start, you know, getting the shifty eye movement and the rapid oh, breath, yeah. and that yeah. whole when you start seeing the warning signs of something, yep. some anxiety coming on, then uh, then I would I would start doing some educational stuff to distract them. Yeah, and um and. Hands down, the most common thing that I would talk to people about is that the trees are are producing the carbon dioxide and that or that the people are producing the carbon dioxide yeah. and the trees breathe it. And then the trees are producing the oxygen and we breathe it. And that they're literally breathing the oxygen that the tree that we're climbing is producing. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, totally. And we're giving the tree life and the tree has given us life. And we're living symbiotically, you know, And, and they would, they, people would just, if they actually thought about it, you know, it would, it would change it all of a sudden their fear would go away. And they would be like, this tree is giving me life. Yeah. <laughs>
7: That's why they I'm must. alive. Like, you don't know, <laughs> like, yeah. trip when you're uh, they're they're like, like, oh my
2: God. up next to it. You know. Let's <laughs> climb higher. Let's get closer <laughs> yeah. to those yeah. branches. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, and so this whole kind of tangent that we've been on in the conversation is reminding me that, you know, you're talking about how by educating the average Joe person, you're making a difference, right? But I think mm-hmm. – you know, I want to talk to the arborists out there also because that's part of the job. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of arborists don't think about. They think is, you know, a lot of times as arborists, we think of our role as, you know, we're here to prune the trees. We're here to, you know, have that knowledge. Right. But Mm -hmm. a big important part of, you know, a lot of the, the people that we're working at with look at us as the connection to the trees, you know, they're Mm going to trust what we say. So In the same way as rec climb guides, you're kind of speaking for the trees. You're doing the Lorax thing and you're trying to, you know, introduce these people to what trees are. Mm -hmm. That's our job as arborists, also. Well,
5: you know, totally. You know, it's our responsibility, responsibility, like It's our responsibility, man. It's our, it's our duty to do this. You know, the, yeah.
2: the city of Eugene has a big initiative. I'm sure you're probably familiar with it of, of, uh, you know, a goal of creating more canopy coverage. And, mm-hmm. uh, I've, I've taken that on. I've saved so many trees by telling clients what the benefits of them are and how, as a community, we're trying to create more of a canopy and they can do their part by keeping their tree. You know, uh-huh. and and it's it's amazing. I've I've saved so many. That's that's one of the one of the cool things about being an arborist is that you are a voice for the trees, yeah. you know, to the people that actually, uh, you know, have property that those trees are growing on and and can control whether or not they live. So so yeah. the arborist, you know, it, it's an interesting thing because 10, 20 years ago, the perspective of an arborist was somebody that cut trees down or that you know it's like oh the arborist uh is not a steward of the forest and not somebody that that deeply appreciates the uh you know what trees contribute to our lives and to us personally and and everything but that's really shifted and you know i that's what i teach the people that work at sperry you know it Mm -hmm. is to to have a reverence for for the trees and to appreciate them and value them and you know, be, be an advocate and a voice for them. You know, the, co- the client, I just had a client, a conversation to talk about a, a story from the field here. I just talked to a client today and, you know, we, we go back, we've planted trees for him and we've pruned his trees and he and I just have the best conversations today. We talked about, uh, whether or not trees are sentient beings, <laughs> and, mm, and had a great mm, conversation for like half an hour yeah. and we were reading articles about it and i mean it was yeah, so so what right did
0: you on. figure out are trees sentient beings
2: <laughs> it's very likely that they are <laughs> <Yeah>. per- personally <laughs> I so. I, personally
0: i think so they they've found uh, evidence yeah. that they yeah. they share their resources with the other trees around them oh, yeah. and they've also yeah. found evidence that they uh favor their offspring over other trees you know it's, now i you you can't you can't say that they you know uh, perceive the world the way we do and they make decisions yeah. in the same way we do but why right. do they have to do it the way we do it to be a sentient being exactly mm-hmm. there's right. a new
6: a new right. quick documentary out called i think it's called intelligent trees that, that talks about that oh nice, nice. i'll have to mm-hmm. check
4: it out intelligent trees huh? yeah nice oh yes. my god well
5: and, and you
6: guys know man all that
5: <laughs> stuff that memory you know that memory is trapped in their bark. You know inside the cambium. Yeah. You know you look at those rings. You can you can look and see if this is what's going on the tree. You know fifty years ago. You know yeah. you guys, mm-hmm. You know so you know I think yeah just because they don't think the way we think. You know I think there's something avatar like. You know that that's you know it's real. I mean, you guys been around trees a lot. I'm sure you guys have all felt that.
0: Oh, yeah. That there's, just, there's just other presence up there. You
5: know? yeah. There's something else. Well, if and you're climbing a stressed
0: me. tree, you, you can tell that that tree is stressed. And the, the other thing that I found fascinating, when they communicate, if one is being attacked, like if Rob's furs are being attacked by the beetles, they're sending messages through the fungus in the ground to the other furs around them saying, hey, I'm being attacked. You better defend yourself. And then those mycelium network is freaking all around. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so, I mean, that is like, when you really, when you start realizing what that means, this tree is recognizing that it's being attacked and it's also recognizing that there's other trees around it that it wants to protect. And so it's sending
2: warning signals out. I mean, that's, that's something. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can tell you that, That some of the, I, some of the experiences that I've had in the canopy and I, I've spent a lot of time in the canopy. Um, like like I've, I think I might've said another time on the show. Uh, one year I spent more time in the canopy than I did on the ground. That's so cool. For the the duration of the year. (laughs) There's not a lot of people I can (laughs) say that. (laughs) It's a lot of time. Yeah. And, um. And when I would sleep up there, I, I always take naps in the day. I generally never take naps. I mean, very rarely if I'm on the ground, but if I'm climbing trees, I take naps like there's nobody's business. <laughs> and uh, and I would get into like a zone where I don't know. I don't know exactly what state it is, but it's like you you you're like paralyzed, but you're conscious. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't move my hands or I couldn't move my feet, and I was aware of what's happening around me, but you're just you're just kind of there and you and you you know what's happening but you can't move until a big wind comes or a client says, Hey, Rob, I need you
7: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then you wake up <laughs> yeah. and uh but but it's interesting I've never had that experience on the ground I've never yeah. had it when I was I on a up. You know, laying on the ground or in a bed or anything, but it's happened many times while I was laying in a tree boat or on a portal edge.
5: Yeah, yeah. You know? nope, I'm with you on that. I think it's something. I think when we climb into these trees, um, especially in the, up in the, into these crowns, and you're not working, you know, you're just up there, just really connecting or zoning or whatever. Um, we that tree time that I talk about, you mm-hmm. know, we enter that tree time. But I also believe that we're actually climbing into the, what I consider the brain of the tree. So just follow me with this here. So most of the creatures out there on the planet, the brain is located near the mouth, you know, and the mouth of the tree is these leaves, you know, they're just sucking in that
7: sunlight. Mm -hmm.
5: (laughs) And all that energy coming in from the sun into the leaves is just circulating in the crown of the tree. And we get up there and we tap into that. We're lying down in that crown of that tree or the canopy of the forest. Um, We're there where all this energy where the brain's at, you know, more or less. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think I, for myself, you know, I, I, I hear you, man. I get up there and time stands still. I don't know if it's been five minutes or two hours. I have it's, no idea. Uh, you it's know?
2: incredible. It's a different, yeah. you just, you, you look at the world from a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. Yep. it yep. completely. And that's changes. what we need, man. That's what we need. <laughs> we need to look
5: at it from a different perspective and come down a little fuller, a little richer, you know, yep. uh, with this experience and, you know, I mean, I I, myself and I got lots of, you know, friends that do it too. You know, if they're having a bad day, you climb a tree, you come down, the problems are still there, but you got this different point of view on it. You're mm-hmm, seeing the yeah. problems. It's like, a, it's a meditation for me. You know, yeah, yeah. I go out, I climb into these trees. The trees are literally my, my church, you know? Um, and that's where I feel closest to the creator is being up inside these trees. Like I'm climbing the, the temples of creation when I'm climbing into these, um, into these trees, you know, especially the old growth too. You get into The old growth and you're on quiet, your mind, your mind kind of shifts a little bit differently. Um, and,
7: yeah you're well, you start like you start seeing nature.
2: nature you start seeing nature in a totally different way you know I, when I would climb yeah. the trees every day i would I would see trends in nature where I'm like, oh, the wind blows every day at like eleven thirty or twelve o'clock
7: mm-hmm, you yeah. know or mm-hmm. I'm like,
2: oh my gosh, I watched the sun like move yeah. from the north to the south <laughs>
7: like, you yeah. Know, yeah. throughout the yeah. season, you know or yeah. I
2: watched the moon actually move its path or the constellations, you know I got really. Right. I've never been an astronomer, but I got really in touch with the constellations and stars and stuff because I was yep. constantly under the stars.
0: Yeah. Yep. I, I know a story that you told me a while ago that I always thought was really cool, Rob, about how you would you would just set up, you just rig the tree, and the clients were coming the next day. And you could look out over a valley and some hills, and you were telling me about how you just sat there. You know, you're going to spend the night in the tree, and so you climbed up, and you just watched the fog rolling over the hills. Mm-hmm. And fill the valley,
2: oh. and just hang. Do you remember what? It was, it, I remember that yeah. night like it was yesterday. It was right after yeah. I went to New Tribe. I actually drove big green to New Tribe,
7: yeah. And
2: I and I had them tailor fit me a harness. I had I had uh, Viola and and the folks there like take Damn. all my measurements and nice. build a harness for me. Yeah. And uh, and on my trip back from them doing all the measurements and everything. I, I saw some trees on a hill when I was on i Okay, I-5. so it was a trip back. It wasn't setting up lines. No, it wasn't actually okay. doing a guided climb, but I, I saw some trees on a hill really far away, and I was like, I wonder if I can find those trees. And I just pulled off on the next exit and started taking roads and, like, drove for, like, an hour or two to find these trees and just kept, kept trying to find them, kept trying to find them. And then I finally... Thought that I found him. I mean, who knows if I really did? But right. <laughs> it's better for it's the story. Right, it's, better, it's, all it's all right, man. It's all right. Yeah, but it, for the does story. it matter? Oh, I got out. I you climbed know? up the mountain, man. I climbed up the fucking mountain with all my ropes and throw balls and gear and everything <laughs> for no freaking reason because because I got a wild whim to. You had a new trees, harness. You, know? you had a new harness. Well, you wanted to change. Oh, okay. I was still in the in the what was that? The Versa. That was the old Buckingham.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with the
2: bosun seat. But but I I hiked up there and climbed up, and, and there was something called the tree fog, frog. I had just bought the tree frog. I was so excited about it. Uh-huh. It was like a little seat that you, like, yep. rig up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, little seat that you can tie onto the branches in the trunk. And I sat in it at the top of the tree, and I watched the the fog come in and it rolled in and it was so thick oh my god it was just a wall of white and it was like this big cloud just like it kept flowing like a wave or an ocean toward me and then i remember it hitting me and in a a half a second i couldn't see anything i went from seeing everything to nothing and i was completely blind i couldn't even see two feet in front of me
7: Mm-hmm.
2: And then uh, and then I repelled down, got all nestled in my little cocoon, and it was probably one of the best nights of my life.
7: Dang, <laughs> so beautiful. That sounds awesome.
3: I,
0: I remember hearing that story and like thinking and what I whenever I hear it, I'm thinking the same thing. how often would you sit in one place to watch nature unfold like that for hours yeah. for you hours?
2: Just watch it from like way from the farthest yeah. off in the distance, you know in in the valley. And then he just sit there and watch it for the longest time as it rolls towards you, and then it hits you and you're blind. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and, and
0: like, you know, this is years later. This is probably 15 years later you're talking about it, and, it, you know, you are stoked like it happened yesterday. Oh, man. You don't get that experience unless you take the time to slow down. and enjoy the world around you and you know especially you know 15 years ago we didn't have iPhones in our pocket or somebody might have I can't remember but I didn't and like having the
2: freedom to be driving down the road and look way off to the you know side off in the distance I want to go there (laughs) and climb up the mountain and find a tree and spend the night in it (laughs)
7: that's
2: it's a great way to live. Dude, that's, yeah, <laughs>
3: you weren't worried yeah. about the next ding to come from your pocket. You were just like, no, yeah, totally enveloped in. Nope.
2: And... No, that was before cell phones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah totally.
3: That, that's a beautiful thing, right there.
0: Um, I'm jealous of that. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. I'm going to pivot a little bit again because tomorrow, uh, some of us are going to be going and climbing some 300 foot furs. Uh, outside of eugene here so we got a big climb coming up there's a handful of us going what kind of advice do you have for some people that are about to go on a, a awesome rec climb wow um go slow yeah
7: absorb
0: it. it in man
5: Tread yeah. Yeah. It in, go slow <laughs> if you uh and each other out to slow each other down you know, because you're gonna you're gonna kind of get in that mode sometimes to just you know I gotta get up there quick or whatever and just go hey let's go down, let's go down a little bit you know um, try to get some quiet time too you know I know we yeah. I climb with groups of groups of folks you know we get up there we start talking too much I mean we're, you know it's fun we're having a great time but um, it's really you know it's taking just ten minutes fifteen minutes if once you guys all get kind of nestled in just somebody just say hey let's have fifteen minutes of silence right now. You know, yeah. I took, uh, uh, in the Redwoods a couple years ago, um, I t- uh, took Lily Collins. You guys know who Lily Collins is? Phil Collins' daughter. Okay. And um, took her up in the Redwoods. And, you know, she's you know she's made her own name out there as an actor and all that. And I didn't really know I knew she was Phil Collins' daughter, but I didn't really know much about her. And uh, we're doing a pilot or uh, doing a scouting for this little movie that she was going to be making in the trees. And um, so we uh, took her up in the trees, just kind of scattered out that she knew what she was getting herself into. And uh, we get to the top of the tree and, you know, we're there on, you know, uh, on, on the clock for her to get some work done and all that. But we get to the top of this, you know, thousand-year-old redwood tree. And um, I just, after we done doing all the talking and all that, but I was like, hey, do you mind if we just take, you know, 10, 15 minutes of just quietness you know just just look where you're at just experience exactly where you're at don't think about the movie don't think about you know the script nothing like that just just be for the moment and so you know 10 minutes actually turned like 20 minutes and uh she kind of come back to you know and i remember looking at her and she's looking at me and she's like she's like you know tim i've traveled all around the world jet set around the world and she goes this is the first time i've ever felt connected to nature thank you wow and here's somebody that you know literally has the world served to her you know and so um saying that there because she's never had somebody tell her wow. to stop just stop wow. and just listen look where you're at stop and listen you know and we don't sometimes we need somebody to tell us to do that before we actually do it you know um
2: that, and so, that reminds me of uh, do you mind if i share a story too please um I I was taking a, a couple folks climbing up on the the Saniam up in some real big firs about five miles in on a trail, and the guy was um, eighty three years old, and his granddaughter was twelve years old, twelve mm-hmm. or thirteen, and we hiked all of our gear in five miles. Mainly me and the granddaughter, mainly me, (laughs) but, but we got to the tree, I rigged it, we got everything set up and this guy was the, the leader, the head, I I don't know if what position that technically is for the, the boy Scouts, but he was the leader of the Pacific Northwest chapter of head scout of the boy Scouts, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so he's 83 years old or 82 years old or he was in his career Mm -hmm. and um so we go out and we we climb this tree and spend the night in it and it's an amazing experience just like it always is and uh come down and at the end of it he came down and said you know this was the most powerful and amazing experience that i have ever had Mm -hmm. he said i've i've traveled with the scouts and done so many things like my job mm-hmm. was to go on adventures and teach people things and to be in nature and to you know be a steward of the land and to learn about ourselves and everything he said i learned more on this trip than yeah. any other experience i've had and we're talking about someone that's over 80 years old yeah wow. and, and he spent blood. his life in nature in the- yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. And he yeah. said, This is it. This is the pinnacle of my is of it? my experience in nature. Right. You know? right. I right. said, Wow, that's so cool. You know, that, like, then wait till the fog hits you. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right,
0: right, right. Wait till you're trying to nap and you're paralyzed. <laughs> Stuck yeah. in the
2: mycelium <laughs> network. <laughs> exactly. It, that's exactly. just a taste. That's yeah. just a taste, man. <laughs> it's
5: just a taste, you know. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, you climb that tree the next day, or whatever that experience. The experience just it just gets ten times full each time you do it.
7: Yeah, you know, it just
5: gets it gets better and deeper. And yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that similar similar type of a story was um, down the Amazon, and. um was went off to this remote village um this eco village is way back in the flooded forest uh, where these people are literally a third of their life they're aquatic people you know there's just no land to walk on oh, uh, because wow. of the rains. they floods, being flooded. so all the houses are built on stilts you know and the lodge that i'm staying is like built on floating on logs you know so as the water rises the lodges rise and all that too and um, beautiful place you know and it was you know it was a couple day truck to get out to this place um, and uh, got to be friends with one of the, the uh, translators there one of the guides um, and she was able through her I was able to like get permission to go out and climb some trees out there this place called Miiyawa Um, uh, the name of the, uh, Am- the Amazon areas where the Yukari monkeys are the big red-faced uh, white long white coat monkeys who live at. I think they're endemic to that area, but anyway, um, I go out there. I get to climb in, and as I'm climbing, one of the local uh, guys come by, an elder, one of the local elders come over, and he sees me, you know, climbing the tree. At this time, there was, you know, there's some land; it wasn't very flood season. And um, he's talking to my translator. He's like, "Um, "Hey, can I try? I want to do that. I want to see what do what he's doing, you know." And so I come down and. Friend says, hey, you know, so and so, he wants to do this chair. It's like, well, you know, it's getting late, you know, I got to get back. So, how about tomorrow? You know, come on tomorrow and, um, you know, I'm happy to take him in the tree. I'm going to be thrilled to. This guy's, you know, probably late 60s, early 70s or so. So, come back the next day. And of course, when he comes back, he comes back with a bunch of friends, you know, I mean, like <laughs> half a dozen or so. And, um, and they're, they're, they're kind of making fun of him, you know, right away because, you know, a lot of these, you go down into these remote areas, and climbing trees is for children. Adults, you know, grown men don't climb trees. Only the kids climb the trees to go up and gather fruit or whatever. But it's not a man thing to do, pretty much, you know. Um, but this guy, come to find out, he is one of the elders of the village, um, and he's the, you know, I wouldn't say the shaman, but he's the one that he knows where all the animals plants are, all the medicinal plants, he knows where to fish, when to fish, he knows how to read the, the, uh, the rising of the waters, he, he knows this land, literally at the back of his hand. you know, he just knows everything about this land, so uh, very well-respected man in, the, uh, in this area of the Amazon, and uh, um, of course, I don't speak any of his language, I speak a little bit of Portuguese, he spoke a little bit of Portuguese, but not enough for us to communicate at all. So as I'm uh, explaining through my translator, you know, to him to how to do this, you know, so he starts, you know, going up, he gets about I don't know, five, six feet off the ground or so and uh, all of a sudden his buddies start they say something in their language and they all are just cracking up, laughing, oh my god, they're just roaring laughing. So I look at my translator like Fran, it's like, What do they say? What do they say? She's like, I can't tell you, I'm too embarrassed. Like, oh, Come on, come on, tell me what did she say? I can't tell you, Tim. I can't tell you. Come on, tell me what they said. And she looks at me, her super red face. She says, "Tim, they're telling him to breathe, or he's gonna blow his balls out."
7: <laughs> 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 yeah,
5: he's like holding his brother. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he's not a little guy; he's a big guy. But it's like, okay, that's fun. Yeah, to breathe, you gonna blow your balls out. Yeah, that's, that's pretty fun, actually. Yeah. But anyway, we get um, uh, we get up through through the lower canopy. And we're now, I don't know, probably 20 meters, 30 meters up in a tree or so. And um, uh, the ground guys, they can't see him. So they, they take off. It's like it's not fun to make fun of him anymore. He's, you know, so they all leave. So it's just him and I at the top of this tree. And we're overlooking. It's semi, a semi-emergent trees. So we're overlooking the whole Amazon forest right here. Um, and I look over at him, and I see a tear coming down his eye out of his eye and i give him that universal kind of that thumbs up like everything okay you know and uh, he looks at me deep 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 stare into my eyes you know we lock eyes and he gives me a thumbs up i'm like okay things are good things are good you know i had no saddle pinching. i have no idea what's going on in his head right now and uh so we um the sun's kind of going down, and I know you know we should get down before the sun gets too far down because once the sun goes down, it's pitch black underneath the canopy there in the Amazon. I mean, like two percent of the light gets down to the forest during the middle of the day, so it gets pretty dark really quick. So the sun's starting to set, so I look at him like, all right, we got to head down. So I'm showing him how to descend, you know. And we get down to the ground. He's um, kind of has his composure back now. And as we're derig as I'm derigging rigging everything, I go to Fran. And I asked her, I like, hey, can you can you just ask him, you know, is he okay, you know? Because there was something emotional that happened in the tree up there. I just wanna make sure he's fine, you know? And so she does. She goes over and she's talking to him. And as he's talking to her, she starts tearing up. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to mind my own business, but at the same time, I'm looking over there, so I'm pulling the ropes out, and he, you know, comes by and says, Oh God, I think, for the experience he takes off. So I look at Fran. I'm like, so what was that about? What was going on? And she got herself back together, and she's like, you know, Tim, this guy is that guy. He's that guy that as I mentioned earlier that knows the forest like the back of his hand. He knows where all the edible plants are, the medicinal. He's the guy that everybody goes to when they have problems um, or if they're sick. He's the the healer of this village, you know. And he took a lot of pride in knowing his home. He knew every trail. He knew all the animal trails. You know, he knew, um, you know, when the animals were going to be coming through. He knew where everything was at. But this day here, he realized he only knew one layer of his home. And what mm. a shame it would have been to have gone to his grave thinking he knew his home, but only knew one layer. Wow. And now he realizes there's this whole other part of his home, the rooftop of his home, that he didn't know existed, but now he does. Jeez, wow. And it would have been quite a shame for him to have gone, you know, claiming to know all this stuff and gone to the grave, not knowing this. Wow. So yeah, that's the harsh. shift on perspective, you know, um it's powerful man it changes people it does really. and rob you know what man you've taken people up hundreds of people over oh trees, yeah man.
2: you know what it's like
5: that re- people it, come it, down different man i got a, i got a
2: great i got a great story to tell after that one it's just <laughs> something that it reminded me of was a, a woman that uh was was really um ultra abled she was paraplegic you know her legs didn't work and she wanted to go on a climb. I, I forget how I met her exactly, but but I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, I can get you up there, no problem," you know. And uh, and I carried her into the tree on my back, like into the woods a ways, and uh, and harnessed her up and set up a, you know, the Z drag with the an ID and whatnot, and she pulled herself all the way up to the tree, and it's just this uh, like unbelievable feeling or like this new place that you go into that it it was extreme for her because she was paraplegic she can't even climb upstairs yeah you know but she can climb an old growth tree to the top yeah and she there's all these things she couldn't do or hadn't experienced yeah imagine how empowered she was oh my god it's like she was she was more capable than the average person all of a sudden she can climb to the top of a tree you know, and, yeah, I mean, it's this unbelievable feeling that I could just feel and, and hear. I mean, there's another story of, of this this girl. Uh, she was probably 12, 13 years old, and it was part of the Canopy Connections program uh, where I took, like, 4,000 kids that are between, like, 12 and 14, up 100 feet in the canopy. And, mm-hmm. um, and she climbed up and at about, like, 15 20 feet she just started crying and i mean crying not like a couple tears coming down her eyes she was like mm-hmm. sobbing and crying and i was like do you need to go down you know i, I can help you down if you need and she said no i want to go up you know <laughs> and she just cried and sobbed for like an hour while climbing up 100 feet in the canopy <laughs> yeah. the whole way up to the top she was just crying and sobbing that's how i climb you know (laughs) it was amazing and she it was tears of joy yeah yeah tears of enjoyment and just love and and just unbelievable contentment with what you're doing at that time right there it's like the future and the past disappear there's just this incredible sense of of reverence for the moment because you're in a space that you never knew that you could be in
0: (laughs) well and i think a lot of people get into tree work because of that but the shame is when you do it every day it's easy to kind of take you know kind of lose it because it becomes normal right yeah but you know yeah like that that's why you know when you're in the tree like for me i always come up with a plan when i'm in the ground And then half the time I get into the tree and my perspective changes, changes, (laughs) you know, oh yeah, and it becomes just like, a oh, you know, something you tell the new guy, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to come up with a plan and then it's going to change when I get up there. Or or it's, you know, hey, what's the perspective look like from the ground? Because I'm pruning this tree and I want to make sure that the client on the ground sees it in, you know, in the right way and which is going to be. So we take that for granted. But it's important to remember that. When we're climbing trees, right. we are so. I mean, that is our work environment is getting up into that tree and experiencing that right. on a daily basis. I mean, we are lucky mm-hmm. to be climbing trees for a living, right? You know, right? You know, and that just, you know, that just kind of opened
5: my eyes. You guys are seeing that there because I mean, I'm working with new people pretty much every day you know and so i see that every day Mm -hmm. where these people are getting turned on to the trees for the first time and then it i relive my first time i did it too yeah uh i feel very fortunate that way you know that they're giving me a gift they're giving me a gift to look at life with a different perspective through their eyes you know um and so, yeah, quite just, yeah, thanks. So thankful that, you know, we have, we have these eyes, you know, once again, it goes back to that responsibility to share those eyes and open the eyes of others to the world. You know? Well,
2: it's funny that yeah. you say eyes because that was like the other number one thing that I would do to, um, to get people out of, uh, uh, you know, the panic or the anxiety would be, I would just stop and I would look at them and say, Hey, look me in the eyes. You know, look me yeah. right in the eyes and don't look anywhere else. Yep. And just breathe yep. and look me in the eyes. And we would look at each yep. other in the eyes and we would breathe for 30 seconds, 45 seconds. And it—and it's a reset. I mean, try to look at another person for 30 seconds or 40 seconds oh, yeah. just staring in their eyes <laughs> at yeah. 150 feet where the limbs are just starting. You know, right. that's that's why whole... that person being a stranger that you just and met. being a stranger that you just <laughs> yeah. met like an yeah. hour ago. <laughs>
5: Dude,
2: and that's creepy, man, you're a creep. That's right? about to say, and
0: <laughs> they can't get down without your help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
2: Exactly. No, that's how I help. <laughs> yeah.
6: you, you might get punched and, on the street.
0: That's
2: when the
5: that's when Rob pulls out the gold watch and just swings back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Very
3: creepy. Yeah. Oh, man. Like you're going to tip your guy. You're
2: going to tip your guy. <laughs> that snake from the Jungle Book. <laughs> Look me in the eyes. No, 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 no. Oh, my goodness. It,
0: the it, yeah. It's totally true, though. It's about that perspective, and that's what the looking in the eyes does yeah. also is it changes the perspective yeah. when you're feeling overwhelmed being way up in a tree, you get them to focus <laughs> yeah. in on something right in front of them that they can understand, and it, you know right. it, that's one of the things that I'm coming back to over and over again is uh, perspective. You know, it, yeah. like we, it it it's so important well, to get all these different perspectives.
5: Yeah, yeah. Let's take it. Let's take that as a 180. Um, so several several years ago, uh, gosh, 20, 25 years ago or so, um, I got a lady that called me up. And, uh, a blind girl. Yeah. Yeah, A blind girl. She's like, my (laughs) daughter's blind. Can you take my daughter climbing into the trees? And I'm like, sure. I've never done that before, you know, but yeah, I can do that. And, uh, they show up. Um, the daughter, I don't know, 12, 13 years old or so. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a little worried, you know, but not too much. I know everything's safe, you know, so. But I have like a donut, I mean a branch that's about the size of a, the branch that her rope's over, you know. So I'm like, here, you know, feel this, and feel how hard it is and how strong it is and that's what your rope's over, that's really, it's cheating here about that stuff, you know. Um, she just, you know, uh, tells me, she's like, I want to climb on the sunny side of the tree. I'm like, okay, that's cool, I never really thought about the sunny side of the tree. So I set the line over on that side of the tree. And this is an Atlanta. And uh, as we're climbing up, you know, her mom's down at the picnic table just watching us. As we're climbing up, um, she's explaining or hearing, telling me about the birds that she's hearing. You know, she knew all the birds by the song, by their song. And as soon as she pointed out, yeah, then I heard it. Okay, yeah, there's the cardinal over there. Okay, yeah, there's the robin there. Okay, yeah. She's so, but she heard it way before I heard it. Uh, and they were sitting on the branch and um, she's explaining the texture of the bark to me. You know, mm. and just the way she was explaining, it was just nice. beautiful. And then there's a little bit of silence going on. And then she <laughs> kind of tilts her head towards me and she's like, is that I-20, Interstate 20? And she points to where Interstate 20 was. I'm like, yeah, that's Interstate 20 over there, about a mile away or so. And she's like, okay. And she said, I hear the airplanes coming in over here. So that means the airport's over there. I-20's there. And she points northeast and goes, I live in that direction.
7: Wow!
0: Wow! She could wow. triangulate oh from the God. freaking
5: sounds of the interstate and the airport <laughs> from wow. being in the top of the tree. And at that wow. moment, I remember looking at her, and it's like, dude, I have eyes, but I do not see. You yeah, know? yeah. And wow. um, ever since that, um, I have a I have a class that I do a workshop I do called Beyond the Branches and there's not a whole lot of new physical techniques i don't want to get too woo with all this stuff but um a lot of the class is climbing blindfolded you know if you guys have yeah. not climbed blindfolded i highly recommend you doing it <laughs> you know even better as a team building thing for trust you know with your crew out there is you go out you find a tree you get their climbing system hooked up onto that tree that they've never seen before your buddy's never seen before Go back, grab your buddy, put a blindfold on him, have him put his hand on your shoulder, walk him to the tree, clip him onto the rope, into a tree he's never climbed before, and don't talk. And just as soon as you clip him on, have you know have him or her start climbing up into that tree. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be like the first time you ever climb because all of your other senses start popping up. You know, your eyes are gone. So now all of a sudden you've got to start hearing and it's amazing oh, yeah. people with, as they're climbing up there might be a branch off to the right and they're gonna start kind of squeezing over to the left before they get to the branch. Now There is no physical way that they know that branch is there because they've never even seen this tree before. So it's not subconsciously planted in them and they'll just start moving to the left. So there's this something, this aura, whatever you wanna call it, there's something else happening that once the body slows down, um, these, this other, I don't know really call it your sixth sense, you know, I truly believe it gets a sixth sense is getting your five senses in a harmonic, um, and that's what creates that sixth sense. And because we're such a sight dominated society, we have to get rid of our eyes first. Get rid of our eyes, and the other senses start popping up.
7: We um, we would do that.
2: It's,
7: yeah, we yeah, we did
5: that cool, a lot man. in our
2: overnights. We'd go up late at night because we would in our overnight on our on our like the full canopy expedition that we would that we would go on was the day climb and the overnight. And so they mm-hmm. would come do an orientation. And then they would do a day climb and then they would come down and we would prepare dinner and we'd use the restroom and hang out around the campfire at the camp. And then we would climb back up for the night. A lot of the time people would want to hang out until it's already dark. And we would say, that's even better. You know, let's yeah. climb up in the dark mm-hmm. totally, and, and people would love it. I mean, yeah. and I mean, oh, yeah. it's scary sometimes and you've got to put your light on, you know, and turn the headlamp on and that's okay. That's not a problem. Yeah. But, but, more times than not, people would climb two hundred and fifty feet up to their tree boat in pitch mm-hmm. black with us mm-hmm. next him. Yeah. Just 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 the sound and touch. And we would Climbing climb into up. the
5: void, man.
2: Climbing oh into my gosh. Void. And it's that is freaking, the strangest feeling. And, it, <laughs> even it for an avid climber. I mean, I would bounce totally. off the trunk and when you got a hundred feet of swing above you, you can bounce off oh. twenty feet like nothing. Oh, yeah. And so you bounce yeah. off, and then you're waiting to get to the trunk and waiting to get to the, <laughs> the trunk. Waiting to get, and there's the trunk. You, know? you don't even know where it is. Sometimes you'd hit sideways. You don't know where the and, trunk's Oh, my God. It was so much fun. <laughs> All right,
0: Jamie, tomorrow on our big climb, we're bringing
5: blindfolds. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I think,
2: I think a buddy
5: of mine is going with you guys. Sam, oh, cool. Dan Akron. And uh, uh, he's going to be. Are
0: you guys climbing with Scotty? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think yeah, it's the yeah, same climb. Right. Oh, Scott's yeah, coming yeah. So, uh, yep. I know Scott Stan's coming
5: through town. Yeah, yep.
0: So he's coming through
5: town, and I uh, had dinner with him last week. A good friend of mine down in the Redwoods, and um, he's got uh, Scott's invited him out to the big climb, and I thought it was just the two of them. But I know they're going up a three hundred footer, so it's, it's great that there's a the whole crew going out with them.
0: So yeah, it's.
7: Gonna so if you guys
5: fun. see Stan, be sure to tell him hi for me.
0: All right. He's yeah, good yeah, we will. We will. Awesome. Well, um, you know it's uh. I I know we could keep going and going with these stories. So what it means to me is that we just need to do this again, um, and next wow. time we need to have you in person at the uh, the Tree Thinking Studio, aka my garage, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the galactic headquarters. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yep, we there's so we could just keep going telling stories. There's just so much uh, here that we're just going to have to have you to out, you know, and, uh, do this again in person. I wish, I wish you, we were able to do it in person now. And then we were able to go on a big climb afterwards.
5: Oh, that'd be great. Well, but next time,
0: next time. Yeah. And we've been, uh, I was actually talking about, uh, with some people organizing a climb out to yahats you know, the platform out there. I think you were involved with oh, building yeah. it, right?
5: Yep. Yep, been out there several
0: times. Yep. So, what we want to do is we want to head out there and do a podcast on that platform. And, uh, oh, I, sweet. Yeah, I think you should be a part of that podcast. Uh, it'd be great if we could really, I'd love to have a few of the guests that we've had, you know, uh, you know, get a few people down and, uh, just have a, have kind of a celebration of tree climbing and have a party and do a podcast to remember it by. Sounds sounds wonderful. It sounds like a plan. Let's make it a date. Awesome, awesome. Well, uh, I guess uh, we'll wrap this up with uh, final thoughts, Rob. What are, what are your final thoughts?
2: Oh, I'm just glad glad to reconnect with Tim. It's been too long.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. uh, yeah.
3: Feel
6: the same way. Yeah. Dakota, you got anything?
3: Uh, well, I mean, it was a pleasure to hear all the stories. Honestly, uh, just hearing about how the recreational climbs have really changed people's lives kind of gives me a new perspective because I'm personally, I'm a, I'm a newer climber and to know what these big rec climbs, you know, like 300 foot rec climbs do to people kind of pushes me to really want to do this. Yeah. And it, especially like the blindfold thing, that sounds, that sounds <laughs> so immersive oh, yeah. for yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd be willing to do it my first time, honestly. (laughs) Go for it, Um, but I want to see both both sides of it. Um, So, yeah, I I appreciate uh, the stories, Tim, and uh, very good to meet you. Even if it was over yep. the phone. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Hopefully, we can so meet in person ritual. someday. <laughs> uh,
5: I'm sure. I'm sure the
3: throw lines will cross soon.
5: Uh, <laughs> <sure it> will.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Isn't that a bad thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> like fishing lines.
4: <laughs>
6: cool. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, thanks. Thanks for your stories, and uh, you should write a book. I want to hear about yeah. Like, yeah. your early yeah. years when you're doing those kind of gorilla climbs, like scoping stuff out in different countries. Um, yeah, or just yeah. come on again and we'll hear about those stories.
3: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> audiobook
7: <laughs> but Yeah, th- uh, yeah. Th- writing
5: writing a book takes a lot of patience and <laughs> commitment. <laughs> just do it.
2: Do it in a tree, and you'll uh, be able to meet two birds with one with one exactly. throw line. <laughs> yeah, yeah throw one line. throw back. Two <laughs> birds with a throw line.
7: Yeah, yeah, no. There's a
5: there's actually a couple books in the making right now.
0: So um, hopefully, soon it'll be coming out. So, cool. Yeah, yeah I, I look awesome. forward to it. Awesome. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I've just been turning over the the whole that whole conversation about our trees, sentient beings. Like, mm-hmm. and we, we approach it from such a, you know, an ethnocentric or human centric like viewpoint, you know, like they're, they they do not match if they are sentient beings, you know, they don't match our sentience, but you know, their sentience, like you talked about that memory that's trapped inside them. Like these, these things can live for millennia centuries and they have all that memory stored in their wood. Mm-hmm. And then you think yeah. about us, we like, what are we good for? Maybe 110 years. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. And by that time, your brain is just mush like just just, just (laughs) mush and if if you're uh yeah it's 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 just such a such a head trip to think about that and you know thinking about the the brain like the the upper canopy of the tree and that's where all that thinking is is going on yeah that was cool that's that that's that's what's tripping me up that's where the
2: hormones are coming from Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. 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 that's where a lot of the uh things are sorry i'm (laughs) <laughs> no, no. Then, no no go for it go for it, right go for it. Yeah, yeah no we got time well, that's where the hormones and like a lot of the the trees and i don't know they probably come from their roots too and i was thinking about that when you were talking about the brain and the breath and the mouth of the tree i was thinking well the roots are kind of the mouth of right. the tree too it's almost like the the tree has the canopy and the stomata and the the you know, and even on the bark
4: there's chlorophyll and it and yeah, it has oh, yeah. that again, we're trying to personify a tree and a tree is inherently <laughs> it's tree. not a, it's not a person, it's a tree. Yeah. But like yeah. again, if we're trying to personify it, like I think that takes away from what it actually is, you know. Like no, we're, we're it trying minimizes from, it minimizes it. It minimizes it. Right. We don't appreciate yeah. it for what it is. Because we're trying to put it inside our own little box. our, our yeah. wood
2: stove, our wood stove, <laughs> or our wood stove, yeah. or, our yeah. or trying to fit our chainsaw through it. Yeah. But it's not,
4: it's not that. It's not what we want it to be. It is mm-hmm. what it is, yeah. and that's yeah. that's it's right. like.
2: And it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right and and that's right a, that's a trip to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah. It's way beyond the boundaries of our mind, you know. Yeah. Where our mind can perceive it. So, yeah. um, oh. You know. Yeah. For sure. It's
7: like a different sure. dimension. Yeah, it yeah. is. You know, you it's, can't it's, it's comprehend
2: it dimension.
0: within. The tree the, dimension. The tree dimension. <laughs> <laughs> tree D, I like it. Yeah, Tree D. There's a t-shirt Tree-D. right there. Tree D. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's what we should call this episode. Oh, <laughs> oh, boom, there we go. There
5: it is. There it is. I love it. Uh, I right. love well, you, brother. Well. Uh, love you guys, man. Keep doing all the great work you're doing.
0: Yep. Yep, and so I got, I got three things for my uh, final thoughts. Uh, one is uh, going back to the beginning of the conversation, and I'm imagining punk rock Tim Kovar and how you kind of took that punk rock energy and turned it into an entrepreneurial, not letting anybody tell you how it's got to be done, but going to do it your own way. And, uh, and, and forging your own path, and that is straight inspiration. You know, I, that, that really stood out to me as uh, a huge part of this, this story that you told us. Um, and the other part was uh, slowing down. You know, so so often, especially if you work tree work, your, your goal is to get it done as quick as you can. But it's so important to slow down and take that time to realize how lucky we are Uh, to be working in this environment and working with this, this other, you know, this sentient being. Um, and then, uh, finally the arborist role in being the go between, between the average Joe and, uh, the trees, you know, we, there's a lot of responsibility, especially in a time when trees are so stressed uh, for us to advocate for, for the trees and to remember that without the trees, uh, we don't have this amazing life that we have through tree work and through, uh, you know, just our love for trees and living with trees. Um, and so with that, I'll say stay safe and keep it punk rock.
6: <laughs> Sweet. Thanks, Tim. guys.
0: Yeah, climb safe and fit for on and enjoy your
2: climb tomorrow, man. I yeah, nice dude. You guys. Yeah. Right on.